Hello, my name is Tara, and welcome to You Should Write a Book, the podcast. If this really was a book, this would be in the chapter called Being Polite, and this section would be called The Third of Three Parts. In the first episode, I laid the groundwork of the lessons I'd internalized as a child. Be a good girl and always respect your elders. In the second episode, I described some of what could be seen as the consequences of those lessons. I want to thank all of you who reached out by message or by email to share your own stories. It is an honor to be trusted with them. In this episode, I'll talk about my journey towards letting those early lessons go and what I've replaced them with. But the story doesn't end there. As with all of you, I'm a work in progress. Join me, won't you? After my dramatic exit from the abuse that I'd been living, I put a moratorium on dating. I didn't trust men. At all. Even a little. I saw them all as predators looking for prey. And I had been seen as prey by Stephen, and I wasn't going to let that happen again. Over the next two years, I bought a house, ran a successful business as a case manager and therapist for individuals with acquired brain injuries, and I healed the wounds. Something that I didn't mention about my time with Stephen was the fact that he'd introduced me to a naturist park near the city. Turns out that I really loved being naked. I loved being at the park and got to know the regulars really well. It wasn't at all what you imagined. There were no great orgies going on. Well, if there were, I didn't know about them. It was a family park with loads of kids running around. Any sexual activity was strictly out of bounds. And there were cold showers everywhere, just in case something popped up. You had your own towel that you took everywhere with you as a place to sit. Swimming and sunning putting on a sports bra to play beach volleyball. (laughs) Some things just don't need to bounce that much. I bought a small half pop-up trailer from friends. Every weekend, I hooked it up to the back of my Dodge Neon and made my way to the park. I tried camping in the provincial parks, but realized that there was so little security that folks didn't even really have to sign in. As a single woman, it freaked me out that no one would know if anything happened to me. So to me, the park was a safe haven. Everyone had to sign in. They photocopied driver's licenses and took down plate numbers. The number of unattached males was limited, so most people in the park were there with their partners and often their kids. The staff all knew me and they looked out for me. I spent most of my time reading by the poolside and joining folks in the evening around a campfire for a slightly drunken (laughs) sing-along. I loved it there. He was tall and beautiful, tanned to a golden brown that matched his hair and his eyes. He'll tell you that I'd been watching him all weekend, but really, I'd noticed his five-year-old son even more. He'd spent the day diving and swimming the length of the Olympic-sized pool over and over again, 
wowing everyone around. But when Chris got up the nerve to come to my campsite and introduce himself, I was flattered, and he was handsome, and I was single. I won't get into all of the details here, but know that everything happened very quickly. He moved to Florida for a teaching job, having just graduated with his degree, and I, well, I found out I was pregnant shortly after he left. But here's what you need to know about Chris. He was safe. He was the very opposite of my ex. There was nothing controlling or manipulative about him, and in fact, he came across as quite innocent. He was exactly who I needed to be in relationship with at that point in my life. It was complicated, very complicated, but I didn't regret marrying him and having two beautiful children with him. He asked very little of me other than to be there and to love his kids. And I was, and I did, very much. With him, I began to unlearn some of the earlier lessons about being a good girl and obeying, but I digress. Question, as a woman, what do you instinctively do to keep yourself safe? Do you always park under a street light when out at night? Do you get your keys in hand long before you reach your car? And do you lock your doors as soon as you get in? Do you sit with your back to the wall when in a new setting so that you can see who's coming? Do you pretend that you've just remembered something and walk away if the person on the elevator looks a little shifty? When I pose the questions to my marriage prep classes, the men are bowled over by the responses they hear from the women, their partners. Men have no idea. But even with those safeguards in place, we continue to put ourselves in questionable situations because, well, we need to be polite. I wouldn't want to hurt this man's feelings by getting off the elevator, even though I'm scared. I don't want to make those two guys think I'm afraid, so I won't hold my purse more closely or put my keys between my fingers. I don't want to be rude by not chatting with this weird person at the bar even though I know something's off. Being polite sucks. I have a thing about kneeling. In the Anglican tradition, it is the norm for many, but the act of kneeling is to put yourself at someone else's mercy. My experiences with Stephen meant that I did not feel safe kneeling, ever, even at church. When I disclosed this while training as a counselor, my mentor seemed surprised. It had never occurred to him that in kneeling, one becomes vulnerable. So I refused to kneel, even at my ordination. I had discussed it with the bishop beforehand, and he seemed to understand. The bishop who ordained me was the least threatening man on the planet, but it didn't matter. I don't kneel. Nor do I ask anyone else to kneel. As a priest, I would say, anyone who wants to kneel may do so, but it is not required. I said this because I did not want to have power over anyone, ever, even inadvertently. 
On the first day of a new cohort of students in a counseling program, we were asked to sit knee to knee with someone we didn't know and stare into their eyes for two minutes. 120 seconds. I was paired with a man about my age, mid-30s or so, and I was terrified. When it came time to share what we saw in our partner, I mumbled some kind of bullshit answer. Why? Because I was polite. I didn't want to hurt his feelings by sharing that I saw him as menacing and dangerous. I shared this with the instructor in our one-on-one -on -one session, and, to be expected, he had never thought of it that way. He was a man, and it was just different. I think he stopped that practice. Turns out I was right. This guy was a menace, and he was one of the first people to ever be asked to leave the program because of his authoritarian and controlling behavior. I could have washed him out of the program on the first day, but I was polite, and I didn't want to hurt his feelings. In my own practices since then, I am very aware of not putting people in such vulnerable positions. I just don't do it. Before I was ordained to the diaconate, the first of two ordinations for a priest in the Anglican Church, it was just myself and one other female ordinand who was being priested at the same time. On our retreat, our advisor mentioned suitable dress. As she spoke about modesty and essentially not attracting any attention to the fact that we were women, our heads almost spun around 360 degrees. I was furious. I was enraged. I asked if this was a conversation that would be had with male ordinands. And the truth is that many, not all, but many, of the women ordained into the Anglican Church in the early days had adopted what might be considered to be a more masculine demeanor. Fuck that. I had long hair, wore makeup, and I'd been dressing my D-cup boobs since I was 17. I had them. They were part of me. And while I didn't try to show them off, I wasn't going to bind them just so that some man didn't have dirty thoughts about them. At my ordination, of course, we wear all of the regalia that the church is known for. Clergy shirt with the plastic collar, a long alb or a gown, that goes to at least mid-calf or likely floor length. As a deacon, I was then presented a stole or a scarf, and as a priest, you are presented with a chasuble or a cape. I love that spellcheck doesn't recognize chasuble. Anyway, everything possible is done to hide the fact that you are actually a human person underneath all of those layers. But you can't Hide the shoes. For my ordination, I went out and bought ruby red Mary Janes with the four-inch black heel. I wouldn't have done it had we not had a talking to about appropriate attire before the service. I was a woman, damn it, and I wasn't going to hide that fact under a bushel. It was one of many acts of defiance that I showed during my ministry. After all, God called me, all of me, my big laugh, my sense of humor, and my femininity. 
After the service, of course, everyone asked me, if I'd clicked my heels together, where might I have ended up? (laughs) There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Now, some might say that because of my abuse, I was overly sensitive to what I perceived as men having control over me. And I say, so what? It was my experience. And I was always on alert, not just for myself, but for those around me as well. I was once chastised for moving my desk so that I could see the door and who was coming into my office. And the fact that I put my chair so that either myself or the people who were in my office could easily escape. You might be surprised that the ones who complained were men who couldn't comprehend why I didn't want to be stuck behind a desk with no access to the door. must be so nice to be a man in this society. It has taken years to unlearn the lessons of my youth and to honor the lessons I learned from living them. I did once make the mistake of getting into a car with a man that I'd met for a date when my instincts were screaming no. I acquiesced for two reasons. One was my hip, the one that I eventually had replaced. I was in so much pain, the thought of walking back through the parking lot over the snow and the ice was not appealing. And the second reason, I didn't want to be rude. He drove me away from the restaurant, out of the parking lot, down the street, and into an underground parking garage. Interestingly, I wasn't scared, but I was pissed. I took my phone out, told me to get the fuck out of there, or I was calling 911. Thankfully, he did, because I wouldn't have known what to tell the operator about where I was, because I had no idea. I called my friend as I was driving home. She gave me proper shit, as she should have. Noted. Never happened again. There have been a lot of other little things over the years. The comments on my nice legs and that I should always wear skirts. Or about how my dangly earrings were distracting as I handed out communion. Or that I should always wear my hair down. Or that I should smile more. Oh my God, that one drives me crazy. Or how my stole, a scarf that priests wear, was crooked because, well, boobs. I became quite adamant that if men came to see me in a sexual manner, that was their fucking problem, not mine. I was and am delightfully feminine and have finally come to honor my body even with all of its scars and stretch marks and having everything succumbing to gravity, I was delightfully and perfectly made. Parents, don't teach your girls to be polite at all costs. I'd rather have them be rude and alive than have been polite and dead. And as far as always respecting your elders, fuck that. If it doesn't feel safe or okay, say so. I wish I'd been so empowered as a young girl because I never would have sat on that friend's father's lap and I certainly wouldn't have let my parents' friends come to tuck me in at night. Teach your girls and your boys, for that matter, 
that they don't have to acquiesce. Predators look for this kind of meekness in their prey. It happened to me once and it will never happen again. My hope in telling these stories is that you will gain some insight into your own. What lessons did you learn growing up? What consequences did they lead to? And of course, what might you have to unlearn now that you have some insight? Share your stories with me or with a friend. If you think that it is just you, I guarantee it is not. We're all in this journey together and together we make it through. If you consider taking the time to subscribe or to follow this podcast, I would appreciate it. It only takes you a few seconds and it means the world to me. Until we meet again next time, bye.